Two things that you're not allowed to carry in taxi cab. One is fish, the other is bedding that goes under health laws. to be a good cab driver. All you need is a weak mind and a strong back. Every once in a while you'll meet a woman who she'll cry on your shoulder and tell you her whole goddamn trouble inside and out. Then after she'll get through, she'll say, what the hell am I telling you? I hate to get stuck up again. I'm afraid of what would happen again. You know, like, you can't press your luck. If I get one past the Bronx, I don't know the Bronx. I've been riding around here for 35 years. That, that Bronx is like China. There are 13,000 taxi cabs in New York City, and some of them private. In a night and day shift, that adds up to 26,000 cabbies, with 12,000 more to take care of the other hours that give around-the-clock service to the citizens and visitors of New York. And every one of those 38,000 drivers has at the time years ago when he started hacking as a temporary job. The only other trade I knew, I got out of because my feet bothered me. I was a waiter. So in order to get off my feet, I took a job sitting down. <laughs> it's just something that I had to do or do nothing. And when I got into it, so as the years went by, that was it. I lost. I had, uh, I couldn't get no other job. And not that this was any better. I used to sell for a house, and the house folded up, and then I got married, and then I started to raise a family, so I couldn't get no, locate no other job, and as the years went by, I was getting older, and that was it. I often wonder why the fellas, the new fellas, come in to drive a cab today, when, or even a few years back, when their opportunities were far more greater than what the opportunity that, that, that I had, because I couldn't get a job no how. you make it becomes a competitive business you're out there cutthroat so you get to the point where you don't care just to my sorrow the opportunity to become a cop in new york city i would have been a retired cop today i could have been doing this now making a little side money with a pension and if i wouldn't be doing this i'd be a special cop in a bank or some damn thing There's there are twenty-three thousand eight hundred cops out of a population of eight and a half million people in new york and while it's the business of every cabbie to search for fares among the vast multitude of pedestrians, it's the cop who occupies his thoughts. The cop gives you an argument. He's right. No matter if he's wrong, he's still right. Keep your mouth shut. The cop is waving. You know, come on. So I go. So he stops me, you know, and he says to me, Not, I didn't tell you to go. He says, I was telling the other... I said, what do you mean you didn't tell me to go? You know, and then I start thinking to myself, I said, I better not aggravate the guy, you 
And if you want to shop near Macy's, you're going to come just the same. Eighty-five cents. Listen, if I had to worry about traffic like the average driver, he gets on the road, traffic, it bothers him, he gets ulcers. If I had to do that, you know, I'd be in a straitjacket four times every month. After all, I'm in traffic all day long. So I don't even give it a thought. Listen, to me, I take it as the Congress. But that's a fact, though. Anybody who drives for a living day in and day out, if he had to worry about traffic and had to agree with him, they put him in a straitjacket. I already had my ulcers. So now I take everything the way it is. Nothing bothers me whatsoever. Traffic is bad, it's bad. Yeah, I was in some mess at one time. Not only one time, I still suffer occasionally, even right now. Remember one thing, when you're used to the outside, you work on the outside. That's your life. That's why I'm a healthy man today at 57. If anybody gets to my age as healthy as me, they're good. I got my own teeth in my mouth. 2020 20 eyes, good heart. I can handle myself as good as I was. A cab driver in New York has an average of 40 calls a day, all of them strangers, people who, for the length of a trip, share a momentary seclusion with the driver and who can become friends or are enemies. First thing I did, I took my teeth out and my false teeth and my wristwatch. <laughs> I lay him right down on the seat and I've handled him. 10 inches taller than me and 60 pounds heavier than me, and I'm only 170 pounds. But I'm five foot two. And when I used to box, I used to box at 140. Oh. So I don't worry, the, uh, some of the big guys. Because they're, they're all left-handed to me. <laughs> but I mean, I don't look for a fight, but if the guy starts swinging, my, my, my salvation is I got to swing too. That's protection. I go home at night and it's battle fatigue every night. You wind up like this. Before I start, I didn't get punchy in the ring. I'm going to get punchy in there. It's an interesting life. Oh, yeah. You never know who you're going to pick up. You never know who you're going to meet up with either. You leave in the morning, you know you're coming back. He stuck me up on 100 Street in Central Park, West of Manhattan. Very dark street. I always thought what would happen if I got stuck up. Give him everything they want, right? Let him get out. After I give my money, he says, now take me to a dark street. Then I started to get diarrhea, because we're on a dark street. All they had to do was run out if he wanted to. I wouldn't chase him. He only had a 25 Italian automatic, but uh, it makes a big hole regardless. So I says, well, how about this, fellas? Is it dark enough for you? I says, give me a break. I says, I got a family and all that. And with that, as I was talking, I opened the door. He didn't hit it, the latch open, see? I said, no, it wasn't dark enough. I actually fell out of the cab. The cab had stopped. I fell out of the cab. I ran to the back of the cab, and then I ran to the front. And the Marine Corps teacher to zig and zag. I never zigged and zagged any better. He must have been shot that I jumped out on him because he didn't fire. But I yelled, stick up, stick up. Two cops started running across with their guns, and they started firing at one another. And he gave himself up. I hate the thought of getting stuck up again. I'm afraid of what would happen again. You know, like, you can't press your luck. I did what was uh, supposed to be done. I gave my money and everything else, I said, so. But he wanted to go further. I knew he didn't want to kiss me goodnight. I didn't know I'd like the idea of him hitting me on the head or putting a bull to me. You can't, you can't tell about these guys. The coup de grace, the whole thing, the guy, he was a Columbia student. Well, did you have your picture in the news? Yeah, yeah. And the guy, you felt he was better looking? Yeah. Better dressed I said to the photographer, look, I'm the cab driver. He's a stick-up guy. He was dressed in a suit and a white shirt and tie, and I had an old sweater on. Cab drivers are given commendations for their cooperation with the police and health departments for helping catch criminals, 
delivering babies, responding to any emergencies. But there are the unnoted events too, the life in the back of a moving cab that is private, privileged, and unannounced in the press. A girl started to get undressed in the cab, Picked up on 121st Street and 3rd Avenue. She's going to 42nd Street and 3rd Avenue. She gets in the cab with this box, you know. That time I was there, was about four years ago, I was driving one of those big cabs. And I'm going down 3rd Avenue, you know. And I looked in the mirror to see if anybody was behind me. Here's this girl in Brazil. So, you know, so I looked, I, I, I looked back and I snapped down my brake. I said, hey, what are you doing? She said, gee, I'm late for my job. I have to get dressed, you know. I said, girl, you can't get dressed in this cab. I said, you better put your things on again. She said, well, I'm almost dressed already, you know. <clears throat> so then she says, will you come back here and zip up my, my, my skirt up? I said, not me, girl. Nothing doing. Uh, you want to call that interesting, but I was really, you know, I was afraid to, the cop would stop me and wonder what the hell's going on there. You know how these girls are, you know get back there and then she, maybe she'll stop hollering blue murder and maybe she hasn't got the money for the fare and then she'll start saying I should do something, you know? Yeah. I said, not me, girl. I ain't getting out of the front seat. Sunday I'd get a kid from Idlewild Airport to White Plains, a college girl. So she's telling me everything that's happening in Dallas, Texas. You know, different things like that. And every once in a while when you meet a wise one, you be 75 cents on the clock and she'll say, yeah, do you want a dollar or do you want to come upstairs? You know, things like that. She was no doubt a lady, you know what I mean? She lived in a nice neighborhood and she invited me upstairs. And then, believe it or not, her boyfriend came in. Is that a predicament? Is that embarrassing? <laughs> <laughs> so you went. <laughs> what? You went. But he paid me to go. That's the funniest part of it. Yeah. <laughs> He's there. Take this and get out of here. <laughs> All right, you got it? Yeah. A hacky in New York is supposed to be the man who knows his way around. If you want to go somewhere, he's been there. If you want to know something, he knows it. If you've got a story, he's heard it. Well, let the cabbie tell it himself. Well, uh, I didn't have no fare in the same. Now, if I get a job way up... I, if I get one past the Bronx, I don't know the Bronx. I've been riding around here for 35 years. That, that Bronx is like China. Brooklyn, I can get along with Brooklyn fine. But that Bronx, you know, way over there, you know, there's just name streets, no numbers, you know. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Nothing looks familiar at all. I saw it under the goddamn river. So I asked the guy, what the hell were you down? Yeah, back. <laughs> he know how to get there, he said. We were up around his neighborhood there, but it must have taken him a half an hour to find him. Turn here, I think. Turn, uh... Oh, you better go straight a while. <laughs> I mean, they don't know how the hell they get there. How the hell am I going to know? Happened a couple of years ago. It was on Madison Avenue at 59th Street. I stopped for a red light. And I'm waiting for the light to change. And there's a whole lot of people, you know, standing waiting for the bus. All of a sudden, some fellow staggers over to my cab. He, he says, what do I owe you? I look at him. The guy is crazy. 
So I want to go along with the joke. I says, well, Buck will be all right. So he takes out the dollar. He says, you ain't getting no tip, brother. You didn't take me where I want to go. And he staggers away. Everybody started laughing. <laughs> Taxi cabs are licensed to convey passengers to their homes, places of business, and entertainment. But there's another license in a cab. And that is the license to speak, to talk as no other brief encounter allows. The driver and his fare exchange narratives that friends find hard to share. And they do it because they will probably never meet again. And from it, the cabbie learns, and in turn, instructs his other fares. Most people are not satisfied. No matter what the financial condition they're in or, or what have you, they're always, uh, they always want a little better. A lot of people have to go to psychiatrists and are not even aware of it. Now, as a smart person knows when he needs help and goes after it. But unfortunately, a lot of people uh, are not aware that they have difficulties or they have... Because everybody has slight complexes and neuroses and things like that. But most people are not even aware of it. And in most cases, it's a normal thing for a person to have. It's when it's uh, going to cause you trouble that uh, is the important thing. Who knows when it is or when it isn't, or if it ever will. I tell you, a lot of people are still uh, living in an age of ignorance, as far as a lot of things go. If they treat the mind as they treat other parts of their body, if you had a broken arm, you go to a hospital, you go to a doctor, you get it set, fixed, and that's it. But uh, with other things, they don't consider it the same way. In themselves or in other people, they have a, a funny attitude about the mind. Even the medical profession doesn't know as much as they would like to know about the mind. And they're studying, they're learning. Now, I know from life, you're not married, you want huh? Uh, 95th. Through life, there are three reasons why anybody does any kind of work for a livelihood. Yeah. Do you ever know that? No. Now, there are three groups of people as well. There's one group of people, they lose their job, they can't take another job, they can't tackle us unless they get the same thing they were doing. They're yeah. lost. Then you get another group of people, and I know a lot of people like this also, they, what you call, they, uh, they uh, disregard their health for the sake of money. They love money. A lot of people will get ulcers, get high blood pressure, you know, they have stand fit as long as they're making money. They disregard their health, say that now. That's because they want to make money. Now, then you get the trade group that I'm in. They do something for a living. As long as they like it, they disregard the the, 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 the income. Now, I'm driving all these years, but I love driving. I love the public. I love to be open air, and I love to be independent. I don't want to be pushed around. I love that. I'd rather do this than make twice as much on something else that I didn't like to do. But I love being free. are these men? How do they live away from the job? They've been called wise guys and con men, poets and bums, raconteurs of the streets using the idiom of the avenues. But what happens to them at home? How do they live? I have to work 10, 11 hours a day. You have to do it be between your operating expenses and your home obligations. I have two growing boys, a boy going on 14, the boy's going on 10, they need clothes. Naturally, I, I 
try to give them the things that I didn't have in my childhood. That all costs money. And, of course, I have to work real hard in order to accomplish those things. But you don't mind doing it again. I don't mind doing it because I'm, do I'm, I'm doing it for them. I mean, it's a thing, it's an awful thing to make yeah. a living. A lot of people look down upon you, but those people are wrong when they look down upon you because you're a cab driver. That is my opinion, and it's very true. It seems to be It's really actual human experience, is what I say now. As far as my experiences with people, I could write a book. As a, one man told me one time, he says he never heard a man to have the philosophy of life as I had the way I look upon things. Well, I told him, worrying don't get you nowhere. Oh, I said, where the hell were you? Where you been? Oh, I got home. I'm all right. Where, where do you think I've, where I've been? If I'm not home at a certain time tonight, now, if I go home tonight, I usually get home about, say, 5, between 5, 5.30. Tonight, I'm pulling in early. But if I get, if I come home early, she won't. How come you're home early? But if I come home late, right away, she's got a puss on me. Cook your own meal. What the hell are you running with you? What's biting you? She's right away, she's actually inspecting my handkerchief. Jealousy is a bad thing, you know it? This be, see, this is my second wife. When I got married during the war, it was, I went three times away from the justice of the peace. I was, I didn't want to marry the girl. I didn't want to hurt her, you know, because she came down from New York. And she started bawling. I walked away from her three times, so I said, oh, the hell, I got married. No, I, I go home, I give her a good day's pay. She's happy. She's happy, I'm happy. Avoid all trouble. She's got the kids with her. Say, as soon as I come in the house, how much make day, Daddy? <laughs> out in the street, they'll call out, Daddy, how much do you make today? <laughs> Shut up, will you? What the hell? You want everybody to know my business? I got a couple of kids home, and I used to be awful in my younger days, and my wife knows it. So when I get home, she's got a a light chain on the sink, and all she has to do is just snap it right on, and I'm in for the night. I don't know anything, because yeah. I've been always... I don't know, a lot of husbands like to hand that checks in. I don't do things like that. I find out. I give her $35 a week for the table money. If there's any clothes or anything, naturally, I'll pay for that also. But uh, she gets 35 bucks a week for the table. After that, I don't want to... In other words, I'm the boss in the house. That's it. First yeah, my first wife. So she was a good kid, good-hearted girl and everything else. But she just liked to be a fly-by-night, you know? She wasn't ready for marriage. So I told her, I said, all right, I'm going my way. I said, you go your way, get a divorce, whatever you want to do, I'll be the one to put it out down for adultery because that's the only way in New York you can get it. So at the time, I met my wife. We weren't living together then. And, uh, after we got the divorce, the, uh, she used to pass up and down in front of the house all the time after my wife and I got married. And my wife used to say, well, tell her she's passed by. What, she kind of starts some trouble with something? Why, you going out with her yet? Will you forget about the past? So I don't want to know the girl. So I just do it. But don't you think she still brings it up after 10 years? Oh, uh, she always sees bad things. Now, she'll pick up a dish or a pot of... I had to pick up a, a frying pan with food or eggs in it and throw it at me. Throw her shoes at me. Take off her shoes and throw it at me, boy. And I just don't talk to my oldest brother that married off there. I invite him to my two children's uh, 
uh, wedding. But he has two children. I, invite, I invited them. I didn't leave nobody out. And he didn't invite you to... He invited me and my daughter, but left my son out. We can do without you. We're just brothers in name, not in blood. Goodbye. And I don't miss him. See, I have a sister-in-law, uh, his wife would come down and tell you, how can you leave Jay out? She'd come down for four months and tell you, how can you do a thing like that? People have talked about it. You didn't send a birthday card. She came down for two weeks after and then talked about it for two years. What do you think of Sarah forgot Ivan's birthday? What do you know about that? My son's birthday you forgot. Well, how do you like that? I said, you haven't forgot to invite my son to the wedding. He's a nephew of yours. How do you like it? So long, you're too bad after 32 years of my married life, I found you out. I wouldn't care if you invited no children, but there's a big family of brothers and sisters in my home, and they all have children, and he invited everyone. If you don't like Jay, let me know. What do you got against him? He's a little smarter than your sons? Huh? Make a little more money? What are you showing? Are you jealous? Every friend of his town was at the wedding, see? So I wouldn't care if he had the friends, if he didn't have any other children of the family. I would, we would be contented. But not leave out one, one nephew and his wife. That was my son and his wife. So I sent my invitation back too. I didn't go. Mm -hmm. Some people change in life as they go along. Yeah. A marriage is a wonderful institution if you hit it right. And the chances are, I'll say, 95%. 95 to 5. In favor of it, huh? In favor. Uh, it's the kind of a fellow you are yourself. It's the kind of a fellow you are yourself. You want a home? You play 50-50? As a rule, I say, it is 95%. Good. What's the best way to handle a uh, woman? Well, some yes and some no. It's hard to say. Some, shall I say, you give them too much authority, they take too much liberty. If you show them, a, 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 give them an even break, they'll try to give you an even break. This is some time ago, about yeah. a month ago. Now, being green in this particular modernistic uh, art, I thought it was a jumble of colors. I wanted something like Gainsborough, Whistler, something that I could see the lines, the realistic lines and so on. And so, anyway, I brought my son because his English teacher, whether he was interested in art or whether it was in conjunction with the literature he was studying, I don't know, recommended these boys to go to, to the modern art. So the kid went there and he seen a confusion of colors, he didn't know what the hell it was all about and so on. So when he went back, he gave his opinion, which was contrary to the teacher's opinion, and that, of course, irritated the teacher to the point that she gave him 10% less in his studies. Now, I got a very intelligent woman connected with this thing, fortunately, because I discussed the matter with her. She said that she just visits there, but I feel that she may be an artist or something like that, because she, she was very sympathetic in this particular field. She said, we do not expect anyone that's a newcomer to this field to understand it immediately. No more than a child has to learn to walk. This is a thing that you must learn through first explanation. The woman was so kind that she gave me this book and didn't give me a tip. That was damn nice. I said, "Buddy, you sure you don't?" She said, "Don't forget about it. That's your tip." Wasn't that nice? Yes, that was nice of her. And the cab driver isn't a bad guy either. He's tired like the rest of us, sore because business wasn't too good, with traffic in his ears. 
But hit him right when you both feel better, and you've got a lot to learn. I've been working for about three hours, you see. Yeah. And here I only have this one job, you see, and I'm sitting there disgusted like. And this fella comes over to me. He looked like a Chinese fella. He walked in and uh, he says to me, uh, LaGuardia Airport, without any baggage or anything. So uh, I started to strike up a conversation. I didn't know what to say. And I happened to hear over the radio that it was a Chinese New Year. Tonight, yeah. Yeah. So I said, I, I suppose I should wish you a, a happy New Year today. He says, no, he says, most people are under that impression. He says, but I'm not Chinese, I'm Japanese, see? So uh, we started talking and on the way out to the airport. It's a pretty long trip. He's telling me that he's only over here for a year. And uh, he's in the export business and we're, we're talking and he's a uh, college graduate and uh, talking about different things. He seemed to be a very wonderful fella. Told me he's coming over here to pick up a friend of his at the airport. And uh, when he told me that, so when we got out there, I told him, look, I says, if you don't mind, I would wait for you until your friend comes off the plane and take us back to New York. And he thought that was very nice. So we stopped off, went inside and checked, and found out we had a half an hour to go till the plane came in. So he invites me for, into lunch. And we have a sandwich and coffee and a I tried to lead the conversation over to him so that he could ask me questions, you know, and I could yeah. find out what we can say to each other. So uh, it was a little hard understanding him because he, he had told me that he had uh, learned English over in Japan, but still and all, he had a bad accent, and it was very hard to understand. He asked me about my family, how I met my wife, and uh, little different things like that, you know. And, uh, he, and I told me that he wasn't going back to see his family, which consisted of his wife and his son, for another three years. So here I said to myself, here's a guy who was here for three years, he lives in a Windermere Hotel on 92nd Street, and he, he must be a pretty lonely guy, you know? So he turns around and, and asked me for my address and my telephone number. So in turn, I took his phone number and the address where he lives, you see. And uh, I'm even thinking of inviting him over to the house for supper some night, if he'll accept it, you know. But uh, the, the, the reason that I wanted to tell you about this is because I think that it's, it's such an unusual thing for, uh, you know, if it happened with an American or somebody who came from a different part of the country. But here's a guy who is Japanese, you know. And uh, in some ways, he's so much like uh, we are. And in other ways, they're supposed to be so mysterious and everything, you know. And I just thought it was uh, it was really a wonderful experience. I mean, I felt very good about yeah. it, you know? This was the only time that I felt that way with a European. I shouldn't say that, because I speak French fluently, fortunately. And I've taken people who couldn't speak any English whatsoever to their various destinations, for which I got a big thrill out of New York, you know? You know what I mean? When you know that you're doing something with a full heart. So those little times that I do get these feelings from this business, it compensates for all the, uh, the heartaches and the other uh, bad things that might happen to you during the course of the day. I don't fight with people. I just don't give a damn. I don't know how you feel towards your work. I just hate my work. I hate it. What am I going to do? I got to do it to make a living. When I make, I'm satisfied. I'm not going to jump out of the building. I make enough for my needs, that's all. But I would like that's out of my reach. 
a little business of my own where I could work for myself instead of working for someone else. But it is definitely out of my reach and I don't give it a second thought. You want to be a taxi driver forever? Is that the way you want to die? <laughs> to be. I guess that's the way it'll have to be. <laughs>